0: hello hello benjamin Derek jimin <laughs>
1: you need a longer name it's as long as it gets man
0: Derek tholomew
1: <laughs> Derek james you could you could add the middle name is
0: your middle name james
1: it is yeah. my
0: middle name is james really yep i never knew that see i'm so glad we went down this path yeah me too okay
1: all right okay
0: yeah. this makes a lot of sense no wonder we like each other <laughs>
1: That's making more sense now.
0: Yeah. Uh, we should uh, record a podcast together sometime. Um, yeah,
1: I think that that sounds good. Okay. Should we start today? Sure, yeah. Uh, what do you want to talk about if we, if we do this? I don't know, just like updates. You want to hear about this new level thing I'm working on? Tell me about level. Okay. So it's been a pretty uh, interesting week, I should say. So, just a lot of like time spent in the in the trenches, kind of working on um, some of my important features to get in before January comes around. So this week, I've been kind of focusing on the notifications piece in Level, and I think I touched on this a little bit last episode. But like I made it past the first milestone of adding in the the daily digest email that basically summarizes what's in your inbox and other stuff that's happened um, in your level team and sends you an email every day. But I know that's like not enough, especially for people within the team who are maybe trying to keep up more with what's happening, you know, inside of different groups and stuff. And this kind of brought me back to thinking about one of the initial distinctions between different roles on a team which is kind of like the maker versus manager broadly speaking and a lot of times you know the manager type wants to be notified anytime someone on their team needs their attention because if they see their job as like primarily to keep their team unblocked then they probably don't want they don't need it to be quite as unobtrusive or asynchronous as the makers need I knew this was something I wanted to address, but it wasn't totally clear in my mind the way to approach it. And I also felt like this needed to be something that was configurable, like not, I can't assume that every manager wants to be notified every time someone you know pings them maybe they're a quasi like a hybrid maker manager type so i was like not clear if this was supposed to be some like piece of an opinionated setting that's just like identify which role you're in and level will like intelligently send you the right amount of notifications or if this would just just be like a piece that's configurable but i wanted to avoid like a a whole wall of settings that you have to tune The, the product should be smart enough to to kind of get it right without too much like fine tuning. So kind of trying to think through all of those pieces, like, like, what does this actually look like implementing it? And I would say I spent a lot of time kind of staring off into space, thinking about stuff, scribbling in my notebook, jotting on the whiteboard, and felt like I was starting to get some clarity on some things, but ultimately needed to just start kind of writing code and playing around with with different ideas. And at a certain point yesterday, I feel like, like the dominoes kind of started to fall. It's like, oh, I think this is I think this is actually the right way to do it, and I kind of started changing the way I named things and I got clarity on whether like the daily digest does that go away if I have these like periodic notifications throughout the day or do I need both? Are they two different concepts? And I started to feel clarity about that. I'm in a pretty good place right now in terms of like where where my thinking is, but now like looking back, I probably wrote about a day's worth of code that I'm going to have to pull back out because I don't actually need it, which is like a little bit frustrating to think about that I spent all that time, but it was kind of necessary for the iteration. So yeah,
0: you don't need it, but you needed it.
1: Yeah, I think it was overall like a good week, a reminder that like, even things that seem obvious in hindsight, aren't necessarily obvious to arrive at. So sometimes you just got to like, slog through stuff and and then at the end of the day it comes out like oh yeah that's like obviously the right way to go but Mm -hmm. it doesn't always jump out at you that easily
0: totally yeah i think we've we've said stuff like this before but like getting going on a thing and seeing something that's like wrong sometimes helps me even if it's just like i know it's like even as i'm writing it i'm like i know this is wrong but i'm just gonna put this together and then be like then it'll be more obvious to me why it's wrong
1: yeah and i was actually i was just right before this listening to um Oh, let's get our Adam and Steve mentioned in today. I was listening to... to uh, it's been <laughs> five minutes. A little dicey there. They recorded a, an episode of Full Stack Radio talking about refactoring UI. And uh, Steve was talking a little bit about his design process. And he's like, yeah, I usually start uh, for like two days staring off into space. And then I start to get a little bit stressed. Like, oh, no, I'm not going to figure this out. And then I start scribbling some stuff. And so he was talking about his design process. And I'm like, that sounds a lot like the way I approach this feature. So mm.
0: That sounds like I approached a lot of my life
1: yeah it's like <laughs>
0: it's, it's when this the stress and the panic starts to set in you're like all right i mm-hmm. i gotta f- i gotta face this
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah totally i've been there a lot yeah
1: mm. yeah cool so, so
0: uh, did you have you shipped this is it done
1: um it's not done yet but i'm like over the hill on figuring stuff out i think so now i'm now i'm implementing and what it basically was going to look like and i've been sharing sharing some like screenshots as i go which has also been kind of fun yeah. um Like when in doubt, just like grab a screenshot and throw it up on Twitter (laughs) Um, and kind of give people a window into the iterative process. And that's especially easy to do with the visual parts, which I kind of I sussed that out earlier on. Like, what does the configuration look like for these periodic notifications throughout the day? So that was fun to get get a little bit of feedback from the from people on Twitter um, kind of energized me about that and then I flipped over to code and it's a lot harder to like I can't just screenshot my code or what I'm thinking about there like quite as easily so it's a little bit less sharing on that piece so yeah I think I think I have the kind of the visual the the UI part figured out and now like I think I I think I understand have my head wrapped around how the backend works too so now it's just implementation phase but that sharing stuff on Twitter is I find it really useful just for motivation
0: sake mm-hmm Like when you share something and people get excited about it, it makes me excited. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I I know why I'm doing this. Like, yeah, it gets me back in the zone a little bit.
1: Totally. And I think it keeps it keeps people invested in the process and they can kind of kind of breaks down like the notion that like this just came out of nowhere. Here's how I'm thinking through the process. Every time I kind of mark down an iteration and then present it to the world, it kind of just. It forces me to think a little bit more clearly. And then sometimes people ask a question like, uh, this label doesn't really make sense. What's the difference between a a nudge and a digest or like, they seem like kind of the same thing. And that's what sort of pushed me into like, yeah, that's actually poorly worded. So just writing those words like, yeah, actually that needs refinement made me think, you know, more critically about stuff. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's nice
0: when someone can give like a drive by comment like that and have it be helpful. Yeah. Not everything
1: lends itself to that, but it's it's nice when it does. And I have to I have to resist my internal temptation to get defensive about stuff, which I I have a natural tendency to to do. I think it pays off to build up a little bit of a thick skin and take, you know, especially with design things, it's so much of it is subjective. So if someone just says like that looks weird, I can take it with a grain of salt because it's ultimately like some someone may love it, another person may hate it. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Hmm. Nice.
0: I remember you mentioning that like this was kind of a big this was an important feature for you and like you felt like this was kind of a stumbling block in one of those earlier cohorts.
1: Yeah. Notification policies in general feel it seems like a simple thing to, to think through on the surface, but it's actually very complicated. Like when you start digging into like, especially multiple devices, someone has their phone and their desktop experience. And what should the fallbacks be? If they're not, if something urgent comes through, for example, that needs to be, that they need to be notified about, but they're not on their desktop, then it should probably come through their phone. Or if they have neither access to neither, then it should be an email. And like you start thinking through all the ways that, a notification system works, and there's a lot of complexity there. But this is like arguably one of the most important pieces—like getting this right. Just because Level is asynchronous by default doesn't mean that it should never notify you. There's even more nuance to this than just like a tool that always sends push for everything. Totally. You have this sort of like core
0: value to your system, but you do want people to be able to sort of opt into just how much of that they want to adopt, based on who they are and what they like. Like you're you're gonna get people, I think, in the door on the on the sort of the basic offering. But it's like, okay, well, like I'm on board, but like I do need to get, you know, I need I need a couple push notifications in these situations or yeah. So it makes sense. Like I
1: think there may be kind of a an on-ramp into using level. Like teams that are accustomed to getting so many notifications and being so plugged in. I think it, it will be a little bit of a culture shock to go. To almost nothing or to go to the point where they have to retrain themselves to go check this thing because it's not going to be pushing in front of them and so i think one way potentially is to work in some kind of some kind of on-ramp where it's like you start out closer to how slack operates like maybe by default the things you're a part of will notify you anytime you're mentioned maybe you'll get a notification to start with like you can opt into this and so then it feels more familiar initially and then it's like okay now here's some education about ways that you can protect your time better and flipping from notify me every time i mention to batch up my notifications 3 times a day is like a something that you can kind of be educated about and then opt into as opposed to like it being that way from the start and then you get in there and you're like i'm just not i feel like i'm not keeping up with stuff you know mhm yeah i like that. i also remember you talking
0: about early on like an an idea of a feature of like letting the sender specify the priority of their message yeah I totally like when you when you start crossing that bridge that'll probably also help a lot too because because you can kind of train people it's like oh like at ben and if your thing's kind of like do you need to at ben or like is this like kind of more of an informational thing maybe just consider leaving this message in the thread or, or
1: something like that yep totally and that's another high priority thing, like the urgency settings is what I'm calling it. And I know I want to get that piece figured out, have at least basic urgency settings. I don't know if it's like a, there's a lot of different directions you can take with that, but I wanted at least a toggle that's like, this person should be notified right now or not, but phrased in a way that's like, this is an emergency so that people aren't too tempted to use it too often. But I felt like I couldn't necessarily implement that before I figured out what's the like general notification policy and what's the default and how does it how does it escalate from like nothing to batch notifications to notify every time so yeah yeah that makes sense so uh, yeah anything going on with you i do have an open-ended question not specifically level related but i don't know if you have any Uh, i can sort of just i do have like sort of a quick high-level
0: update which is so november was our best month ever for marketing stuff which is pretty cool uh, in terms of people added to the mailing list and people following me on twitter and all that just like that was going really well but we are coming up on our alpha we're about a month out now and so at our last retro i was saying i feel like i need to sort of focus my attention slightly differently and spend more time on like product management stuff we don't have anybody that's like regularly using the app and thinking about the like how the future should work so much like spencer and joel are focused on making them making them correct and making them fast and less about like what else should maybe be in here or like is it annoying to have to click this thing and then that thing kind of deal and so my goal for this coming month is to try to pair with a bunch of people using the app because i have opinions and uh i know that as i start using this more regularly they're going to be they're going to come out so uh, i want to basically be on the lookout for kind of like ux annoyances i guess we're going to ship an alpha it's going to have things that we don't like about it right like this is just that's just how it's going to be but i do want like the worst things that are like very apparent to me to at least be on our radar at least do a a first pass at like smoothing those out
1: i mean maybe when you invite people into the alpha you can you can enumerate some things that are like we know this is not ideal but this part is rough alpha part versus someone just thinking that like oh this is really the ux i don't know this is not going to be sure smooth you know yep
0: yeah and i I think i have like decent product taste so i think i can provide some value there of like "Mm, i think this should work like this as opposed to that And like we said earlier, it's like when you can see the wrong thing, the right thing becomes so much easier. Earlier on, it didn't feel like it made sense for me to like sketch workflows or you know like give that much feedback on things. But now it's like okay, more of the features are falling into place. Some of these things we're just working on refining as opposed to implementing in the first place. So like what what's like V two of some of our basics that can make this thing a little smoother.
1: Do you have a pretty like well populated? alpha list at this point is it kind of locked in on who's going to get invited uh, beginning of january
0: it is yeah there's i have two possible people two possible teams joining that are sort of in flight we'll see if that actually closes and turns into people but if not that's okay we're at about 30 people in the alpha i'm okay with where we're at so i don't think we need them so i feel pretty good about that i'm not pushing sales very hard right now and like i said the marketing is going well like a lot of the seeds that i have planted in the past are starting to like work like I'm we're getting new people on the mailing list from a bunch of different sources now which is awesome it's like feels like that's kind of running we're about to crack 3000 people on the mailing list which is kind of a cool milestone for me cuz I don't think I've ever had any of my own projects like hit that number before which is pretty pretty nice for me now it's like if we had another 1000 people on the mailing list what would that change not that much the next couple months to me are kind of all about product so uh it feels right to spend the focus there right now
1: yeah Nice. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. Um, speaking of list list growth, um, there were kind of two just random things that happened this week that I noticed just looking through my analytics. I started seeing some referrers that I didn't recognize and like little spikes in traffic and noticed that two newsletters had a link to level in them. And I had like no idea this was happening and like no particular connection to the curator of the newsletters. So that was cool. One was called Dense Discovery, I think, and then a site point newsletter. I just noticed today, and I was trying to actually find the actual newsletter. I haven't been able to track it down yet to see what what was actually said. But it's kind of fun to just see, like, those are things that are completely beyond your control. But I suspect just happen when you're publicly sharing things. You have your landing page out there. People just randomly talk about it. And serendipitously, it just lands on someone's radar, you know? Totally.
0: Yeah. I I asked people when they sign up, like, where they heard about us. And it's it's, it's nice to see, like, an increasing spread of things or it's like oh like full stack radio or your podcast or the twitter or this youtube video or google and like or like i'm part of a slack and someone met, like it's just a bunch more it feels like the awareness is building which is really cool i feel like pretty satisfied with how we've done there where it's like we're not going to launch and have people be like wait what is this or i didn't know anyone was working on this or it's like yes people are still discovering us all the time but i feel like we're we're in a lot of the right places yeah
1: yeah. It's a good place to be. I see that as like forming solid roots as opposed to like one giant source. Like if 90% of people coming there were hearing from one place, then it's like, well, now you're kind of dependent on one channel, but it's kind of like you're getting that organic growth and that spread, which is really healthy.
0: Yeah. And like, we're not like hoping to like have a huge splashy launch and that'll have people hear about us. Like it's no, like we're getting people involved earlier. We're trying to keep them kind of up to date on the process, we're just sort of trying to build a connection over time and, and maybe get some buy-in from people.
1: Yeah, I was, it's funny, uh, yesterday I noticed that when I was also looking through analytics, I saw some referrals coming from product hunt and then looked and someone had hunted level and like it was flagged as pre-launch, but like there was zero lift because it was, it was like someone pulled some screenshots and then took like a altered version of the logo and put that as the thing. So it just did it like didn't look quite right. And then it was like hunted at like 10 p.m. at night all the factors were wrong for it to actually like get any kind of product hunt lift and at first I was a little I was bummed by that because I think by default once a product has been hunted it can't be like duplicated again in the future and I know that was going to be a part of my launch strategy was to try to do a little splash on product hunt and so I did email them and I think there's something that they can do to let it get refeatured or something like that uh, down the line but you know, then I started thinking about it more and it's like, you know, I, I'm not going to let this bother me. Like, even if Product Hunt doesn't end up being like a big splash, I'm going long ball here. That's just one factor. And like the email list and, and the people who are following along on Twitter and all the other things are, it's going to be the sum total of them that makes this a success and not like Product Hunt or Hacker News or anything like that, you know? Totally.
0: Yeah. And like that, even that, that splashy launch, just I, I think we'll just barely move the needle on for most, most of the time. And it's like, yeah, sure. Like, even if you had a great launch, you still have to figure out what you're going to do the next day and the next day after that. And, like, it's it's years of work after that
1: that are going to really make the thing a success or not. Yep. Totally. Yeah. I've been thinking about something. And actually, we should probably do a, like, a goals episode or something. Kind of circle back on our ones we set at the beginning of the year and then maybe think about some ones for next year which we can do that in the next couple of weeks but there's one in particular that i've been thinking about and i wanted to get your take on it's something that i generally think about every year and it's kind of like how do i continue to grow my tribe you know grow the the people online who know who i am who follow along with stuff i'm doing you know i look to people like like Rob Walling and like Paul Jarvis and some of these people who just like they have an email list. They have a decent amount of people who know who they are. And that just gives you, as we've seen, just so many like opportunities to just have an audience anytime you're doing interesting stuff. And it just it helps in so many areas. And so right now, my main strategy is this podcast and being pretty active on Twitter, which is seeming to work pretty well. Like follower count is growing and, you know, people seem to be pretty engaged at least a core of people engaged with the stuff i'm sharing following along with the story but you know one thing that i i come back to pretty often is like should i be writing more and should i be trying to build an email list i've been keeping this running list of like blog post ideas or essay ideas or whatever and um, i have about 20 on that list and i feel like i probably could commit to more of a consistent writing cadence and actually try to like share some stuff and do potentially a newsletter. But something that I haven't quite figured out is like where best to allocate my effort. Should I be writing these things and putting them on a level blog and trying to like make that essentially a piece of content marketing that's an extension of me applied to level or should I be doing this building a com newsletter that's sort of like more personal branded And then, you know, I'm obviously intimately connected to level the product too. I don't know. I haven't totally figured that out, but I'm curious if you have thoughts. Um, I don't think either like is
0: clearly right or wrong, but the thing that popped in my head as you were saying that is you're working on level right now, but in the future, it's very likely that you'll be working on something else. And so if you put all this stuff with level, then, you know, that's useful. And if you sell it, then I'm sure they will count that as part of the value there's I think also there's some worth and some worthiness in having just like this is the Derek Reimer show over here and it travels
1: beyond between projects. Paul's been on my mind Paul Jarvis because because I've been you know listening to his interviews and his new book that's coming out and that, that kind of stuff. He seems to do this really well where he he just has this kind of like broad relationship with this list and he shares interesting stuff with them and he he's not super self-promotional and he has all these products that like By just seeing his stuff, you wouldn't even know what his suite of products are and people just hear about them organically. And I just I like that because there's a there's authenticity in that. And there's like he's not salesy or markety at all, which is kind of the that's how I like to operate. I don't want to be seen as just always pushing a product. And I think there is long term value there. Like he could he has multiple products now and he could continue adding more to his portfolio and and still like the the main channel is his own brand that he kind of pushes out through his newsletter. So my only hesitation is like, is that too indirect? And should I be just like channeling all my energy at trying to grow level as much as possible? Or is this a good thing to just be investing in long term? Maybe it won't be quite as potent a direct marketing channel for level, but like longer term gives me that kind of asset.
0: So I'm thinking of Brian Castle right now who was saying that he feels like so many of his audience ops customers come from his network, like his sort of world. I'd be almost surprised if it weren't about as effective to like do things under your name and then people find level slightly more organically versus trying to make it as content for level. Like I think that the authenticity and the sort of like slightly less pushy, I guess, approach, I think tends to work well for building like a long term relationship with people and then like when they're about ready they check things out that you're doing. Yep. Yeah.
1: That's good. Yeah, that's kind of my that's that's kind of my gut. And but it's good to hear kind of that validation on mm-hmm. that.
0: Yeah. I mean it might be worth doing I mean I think it's definitely also worth doing like level specific content that is straight up content marketing to try to drive new leads, but you could pretty in a guilt free way invest time in also just your personal stuff, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I still don't know exactly what the content strategy will be for Level, but I have like I've pretty much no interest in just playing like the the high volume content marketing play that a lot of companies have done in the past. It's I think it's becoming less effective just churning out five articles a week that are loosely related to uh to the product, you know, like I just I want to put out really high quality stuff, try to focus on a few central asset pieces and ultimately that i don't think that'll necessarily be a content treadmill for level and i think it'll be a lot harder to come up with really good good pieces that are very directly related to level whereas if i'm just writing articles kind of based off of things that i'm thinking about it gives me more freedom if it's kind of under my um my banner as opposed to the company henrik henrik nye nye yeah
0: henrik Mm -hmm. something
1: sounds familiar yeah
0: twitter friend person Mm -hmm. uh shared with me the other day on Twitter saying like, hey, like we sometimes still read this article you wrote on the Thoughtbot blog at work and discuss it. And like, it like comes up. And I was like, oh, that's so cool to hear. And I went back and I read it. I hadn't read it in a long time. And the title is Code That Says Why It Does, which is a weird title, but it was intentionally weird. I really liked it. And I was like, man, this is a good post. I'm like, I'm sorry. I had basically forgotten it. And as I reread it, I was like, oh man, I really like this. And then I was like a little bit sad that it wasn't on my own domain. And like, it still has my name on it and, you know, it's it's still out there and I can link to it for my personal stuff and whatnot. And That's mostly fine. But I was like, mm, I kind of wish this were, you know, my thing. Your employer slash projects change and things that you have invested into them can go away. Like the Giant Robots podcast. Like you could spend four or five years working on a thing and then if you built it under, the, you know, the the umbrella of something else, well, you just don't have it anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and same same is true of like, is everyone in tech or our circles gonna be using Twitter like in five years? I don't know. I think about that in the back of my mind as I'm like investing in growing Twitter following, and I still think it's the best the best way to stay in touch with the community and share stuff. It is a great microblogging platform, which is what it was designed to do. But I also have in mind like I I probably should be investing a little bit in my own email list and you know, having basically two. When people come to my website, there's you can get funneled into two paths. You can join my newsletter for longer form stuff, or you can follow me on Twitter for shorter streams of updates and stuff. And so, kind of just thinking about how to how to package that up and and funnel people to the right place, and bring a little more like clarity and consistency to the types of stuff that I blog about too, because it's not it's not consistent and it's it's like ranging from like very technical to not so technical so i want to get some like consistency there too
0: i was just thinking like i feel like i should take a retreat and queue up some writing like i, <laughs> yeah. I just force myself to bang out a few things that like could go out on a reasonable cadence i've never been able to maintain a like well so far i have not been able to maintain like a newsletter regularity that i'm very happy with but, but maybe if i just like treated it as like a sprint and like twice a year went and wrote six articles or something and then tried to put out one a month or something like that i don't know yeah that yeah. might be
1: more my speed. I kind of want to commit to some regular cadence and then make it a goal to keep to that all year. But I haven't figured out what that cadence is. Like weekly feels too frequent. Every other week, I don't know. Like it, I want to find the balance of like the right amount of pressure, but not too not too distracting, but like keeping me on this, you know, kind of cadence of consistency, I think mm-hmm. it would be. So if, if you set a goal like
0: that and if we set specific goals uh, later, I think we should come up with some penalties.
1: Oh, sounds good. Yeah. where
0: It's like, all right. You said you're going to do 26 things. Like, all right. And if you don't, you're going to pay me a thousand dollars or something. (laughs) Yeah. And then I'm going to donate it to somebody you hate or whatever.
1: (laughs) Uh, I can think of a few names. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Exactly. I don't know. Something like that. So one, all right. I have a question for you too. Okay. And this is, this is a little out there. Mm -hmm. So tell me if I'm crazy. So I, in a little bit, I want to, um, few weeks i want to open up um, sales for habits for hackers and what i'm thinking is limiting it to about 100 people so that it's small enough that i can kind of like pay attention to who's succeeding and check in on people if if they need it and whatnot and so there's gonna be a limited number of spots and i'm trying to figure out the price in my head and i'm like should i charge this should i charge that and it's like okay well it's i could shoot too low and then sell out 100 spots in the first 30 minutes and I'd be like, damn, I left money on the table. Or I could shoot too high and sell out 20 spots and then be like, whoa, I, like, w- I just was wrong and just like struggle to, like then have to drop the price and maybe refund people or like, I don't know. There's just a bunch of ways to mess this up in a big bang, set the price kind of thing. And so I've been thinking of this crazy idea called a reverse auction. I was,
1: I was like, he's going to auction these. I know.
0: I was just, so I was originally thinking like, okay, what about a normal auction? It's like, okay, everyone just submit a bid and I'll pick the yeah. top 100. And I was like, "Ah, I don't love that. I ran this by Adam and he was like, I feel like the number of people that would buy it are lower than the number of people that would like come up with a bid they were comfortable with and then submit that and then blah, blah, blah. And I thought that was a pretty good point. That sounds right to me as well. I think the reverse auction is kind of interesting. It might also be called a reverse Dutch auction. The method is you start at like a pretty high price. So, okay, maybe it's like, okay, um, the opening price is $1,000 and there's a hundred spots, and it starts at, you know, 10 a.m. Go. And then one hour later, I say, okay, there are X spots left and the new price is $900. And then like just once an hour, you get an update with how many spots are left and what the current price is. If you, if you want to be sure you get a spot, you can bid earlier. You can start to, and you can kind of monitor and say like, oh, it's getting kind of dicey now. Like it, it might, this might be the hour where the last ones go. And so it, like it kind of helps push people into it if they were on the fence, but it also lets people opt in earlier to pay a bit more to be sure. Yeah. What do you think of this idea?
1: I was picturing the reverse initially where like you can buy it now for a certain amount, but every t- after every purchase, the, the the price goes up. So mm-hmm. like you're better to buy earlier because, you know, it's just going to keep climbing. Yeah, I don't like that. Like I've, I've
0: heard that referred to as a bump sale before. You encourage the stampede early. And then if people don't get in early or if they like paused or if they happen to show up later or whatever, it's just like, okay, now... Like, a bunch of people already paid way less than I did. Like, I don't want to... The later it gets in the game, the less people want to do it. Yeah, your most passionate people, the people that want it the most, pay
1: the least. Whereas the the reverse is, you know, flips that on its head. That's true. So, a concern with, like, the reverse. Someone who's really jazzed about it gets in, buys it, and then sees, like, if the price drops significantly from what they paid for it, then are they going to fill... Like they got screwed, you know. Yeah, there there might be
0: some of that. I could definitely yeah. see that. Like if it turns out, like if people jump on the the first price, and then it turns out, like you know, spots were going for a fifth of that at the end of the day, it's like, eh, They might feel kind of kind of crappy. And then what do you do? Like if they're like, yo, can I get a re-? like like? What if they just back out? And you're just like, oh, because like now I feel bad. Like I felt good paying this before, but now that I see other people are paying less, I feel bad. And so can I have my money back? And then that then that opportunity to sell it at that that spot at that price is gone. So it's like, do you allow like regret
1: refunds? If the like scale is such that it could end up a fifth of what it was to start with, I feel like there's a there's a certain slope of that curve where like if it's gradual enough and it's not a huge disparity between the first purchases and the last, then. But is it purely is it purely dictated by forces? So like, it could the last spot could potentially go for a few bucks, or like, is it you kind of control you kind of control how it goes down?
0: Well um i was planning on doing sort of like just a standard difference each hour let's say like drop it 100 bucks an hour i think there's a floor below which i would just be like well i'm just gonna stop it here and then see if i can find more people to sign up at this price rather than just like continue to flog this list and hope hope people join and maybe i would like decide the floor ahead of time and announce that but then people are kind of anchored to that and I kind of want to do this just because even if it like turns out poorly, I kind of just want the experience. It just sounds interesting. And I feel like I'm the, I'm the like charge more experiment with pricing guy. And like, this would just be kind of a fun story to have in my pocket. So even if it's like sucks or people hate me or whatever, like I feel like, and I think it would be, I think it's actually going to be fine. Like I'm just curious what actually happens. Cause like I have this price in my head and I'm like, okay, I can probably charge this. My hunch is this format will probably move the average price above that. I like the optimization of it where it's like I don't have to worry about setting the price too high or too low really because basically people will just opt in when they feel like they're getting that much value from the course
1: you could set it at a certain price in the first hour maybe no one will buy it at that price and then that's Mm -hmm. totally fine you know and it'll just keep going from there so right okay
0: that was way too high fine now it's lower okay a couple people bit okay great now I kind of like giving people like some information but not all the information where it's like okay the new price is now eight hundred dollars and there are 56 spots left. And they're like, "Oh, okay, that was like, okay, so like 30 sold in this last round. Okay, that's interesting. I could take the risk and wait for the next price level or I could decide that this is worth it now and I just it sounds kind of fun. I don't know. At least for it me does.
1: I'd be really curious to see how that plays out. Yeah. I don't think it's I don't think it's too crazy. I mean, it's not so far into the realm of crazy that like it's not worth trying, I don't think. Yeah,
0: so I <laughs> I, th- I think I might do it. I think I'm also going to like have a separate Unsubscribe option for this, where it's like if you want to hear more about like this course and the things, like that's fine. But if you don't want to hear like the hourly auction updates, you can unsubscribe from that separately. Which I think would be nice because like that's the one thing I think I could see people getting annoyed by is like I don't need an email from you every hour. Like I'm just that kind of thing. So I just I feel like I have to try this just for the just for the data. Like this would be an interesting like write up to do.
1: Yeah, it's good an experiment to run. I've been thinking about different creative ways to structure pre-orders and pre-sales too for mm-hmm. level and like yeah that was my next thing it was yeah. like and if it's good
0: why wouldn't i do this for tuple mm-hmm. yeah it's like hey we're opening up our 10 monthly spots here we go reverse auction begins
1: yeah yeah i really like that and i hadn't i hadn't thought of it in that direction i thought it more as the bump sale but i think you're you're right like there's it didn't quite sit well with me either which is why i haven't moved on it like i thought about just incrementally increasing the price of the pre-order or something like that to incentivize someone going ahead and jumping on sooner but that doesn't necessarily incentivize the right things right i feel like
0: it incentivizes action
1: but not like like you
0: don't just want like the greatest number of people you want you want more money people people who have have
1: the true demand and you want to maximize revenue yeah
0: right exactly high revenue but also right yeah you let people who are going to get a lot of value from that pay you in proportion to that value and not just be worried about opportunity cost or something like that. Like Exactly. You know, yeah. yeah. It feels like an like kind of like an annoying false urgency with the bump sale thing. Yeah. I guess the I guess the auctions also kind of false
1: urgency in a way, but I don't know. It feels feels better to me. A little more yeah, a little more aligned with jump in where you feel it's valuable. Yeah, I like that. What do you think about one one last question for you? So I have a few uh, pre orders here and there still trickling in for a level, but they've definitely dropped off considerably just because traffic is back down to normal levels, should I just close off? Like, I feel like I'm at a good number right now on that initial like guaranteed January cohort. So I'm wondering if I should close that off. And I'm you know always like worried about annoying the list, but like emailing him and saying like it's closing off this week. So like definitely grab slot do that if you want it. Do it yeah. for sure. Yeah,
0: that's just yeah, that's one of those like crazy ho- high ROI emails. Yeah i think it be uh, a little like crazy not be. to do it yeah okay like one okay. It, no one's gonna be like one extra email what a jerk <laughs> right right you gotta thread the needle right with this stuff but i think your
1: your default threading is is very very considerate so yeah so you're not yeah. far from that cool so yeah i think i'll probably do that in the next in the next week or so and just kind of yeah i've figured out if i'm gonna like have a pre-order for the next cohort, or turn off the pre-orders for now, and just kind of make primary call to action be like jump on the list, request an invite. I, either way, I think it can't go wrong.
0: Yeah, that's all sound reasonable. Yeah. And just and I know you would never would do it, but I was thinking of the like on Black Friday there was like okay, last chance, it's closing at two o'clock, and then at like three o'clock, like actually we decided to extend it for another twenty four <laughs> hours. And you're like, uh huh.
1: <laughs> so annoying. I hate you.
0: Uh, just don't do that and i think you would be fine but i I know you wouldn't no No. cool hashtag marketing yeah good we got our marketing talk we got our productivity talk and we talked about steve and adam so i feel like we're good check 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 all right show notes
1: show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com
0: yeah they can thanks (laughs) for listening (laughs) thank you bye-bye